last week we started a series on John the Baptist. We've got a picture of him below the pulpit you can come by and look at and meditate on. And we're calling this series The Forerunner. This is the one who goes before Jesus, our Lord. This is the man that Jesus called the greatest prophet ever born. That's a big deal. And so we're going to spend uh, this week and next week all talking about John the Baptist. Now, last week we talked about John's mission. God sent, G- sent John to prepare the way for Jesus. This week we're talking about how John prepared people for Jesus. So we're going to look at the way that John spoke his message, and we're going to look at how John acted his lifestyle, and we're going to see why those two things prepared people for Jesus. Now, Before we begin, I want to look at a comment that Luke makes about John the Baptist. This quote is a verse in the Bible that I hadn't noticed before. It's kind of made as an aside remark uh, by the author of Luke's gospel, and I just hadn't noticed it before, and I want to share it with you. It says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because... They had been baptized by John. Look at this next verse. But the Pharisees, meanwhile, and the experts in the law, rejected God's purposes for themselves. Why? Because they had not been baptized by John. Think about those words for a second. Don't skip over them. Pause and listen. Because of John's ministry, Men and women were so prepared that when they hear Jesus speak, they say, oh, God's way is right. And when men, like the Pharisees, lacked the ministry of John the Baptist, what do they do? They reject God's purposes for themselves. This is a sermon that is meant for all Christians present in the room or listening online. And look, if you're not a Christian, that's great. I actually want you to hear this. Because you need to know what Christians are supposed to do and supposed to be like, even when we don't live up to that standard. Here's what John's ministry means for every single person in this room who claims to follow Jesus. You and I have the opportunity to prepare people for Jesus. Before anything else, if they meet you, You could be their first encounter before they meet Christ. Or to put it from another perspective, God uses followers of Jesus to prepare other people to become followers of Jesus. Now, if you are a Christian, that idea may seem very intimidating to you, right? You know that you're supposed to be nice to your neighbors. You know you're supposed to be cordial to your coworkers, but prepare people to encounter The living Lord sounds like a tall order. You know your own imperfections and your vices and your shortcomings. How could you or I possibly do that? Well, fortunately, John the Baptist is our example. He is a model to us about how to prepare people for Jesus. So today we're going to look in actually all four of the Gospels, and we're going to kind of combine all of those images to get a mural to show us the whole of John's work. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the gospel according to John, but we're also going to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
okay? So I want to go back to that first verse in the, uh, in the Gospel of John and read this out loud, and we're going to walk through what John the Baptist did in his life to make people ready to encounter Christ, okay? Now, this was John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Already we see that he is so compelling, he's so interesting in his life that people have to send out investigative reporters to find out who is this guy. And I love that he does not fail to confess, but confesses freely, openly, obviously, I am not the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the rest, they foretold of a Messiah. Guess what? I am not him. I'm not the king of Israel. And so they say, okay, well then who are you? Right? You're only telling us who you aren't. Who are you? Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Well, are you the prophet from the book of Deuteronomy that's going to be like Moses? Also, no. Okay, well then just give us any answer to take back to the people who sent us. And John tells them very clearly about his identity. He says he is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He says, look, I am a herald and the one coming after me is the king. He's the groom. I'm the best man. I'm just getting everyone else ready for him. I'm a servant that he's sending to clean up the highway to make sure the path is smoother for him. I'm just preparation. But here's my favorite thing. They immediately go to his baptism. They want to know why he baptizes people. Now, if you don't know what baptism is, it just means to be immersed in water. And this is an act that washes you and purifies you of your sins. And we're told in Luke's gospel that John the Baptist preaches a baptism of repentance. So, the first way that John prepares people for Jesus is with his words, with his message. He tells people, repent. Now, if you've never heard that word, it means to turn away from sin and turn back to God, to change your old life, to get rid of your old life and start a new life. And here's the thing about John the Baptist. He isn't vague when he issues that message. He is very specific, and he rarely pulls punches. These are just a few money quotes from John the Baptist. There's a crowd that comes up to him seeking to hear his message, and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Don't say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our ancestor. Everything is okay with us. No, no, no. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. These are all quotes from Matthew's gospel. If you want any more specifics about his message of repentance, you can check out Luke's gospel. He says, oh, if you're rich, you've got two coats, you need to share one of your coats with the man who has none. Oh, are you a Roman soldier? And you're kind of all around our cities and on our roads. I'll tell you exactly, exactly what to do. Don't extort money or accuse people falsely. Oh, are you a tax collector? Do not collect any more than you are required to collect. John the Baptist prepared people for Jesus by making an unapologetic call for repentance. This was his message over and over and over again. Turn away from your old life, turn away from sin, and turn to God. But, 
That's not the only way he prepared people for Jesus. He also lived a life of radical discipleship. If you start to read about how John the Baptist lived, you will understand that he is willing to sacrifice a lot of things just to be a follower of Jesus. We don't know much about his childhood, but we're told that he lived in the desert until he publicly appeared to Israel. That means he gives up the, the comforts of family and village and city to live a self-sacrificial life. On top of that, Matthew and Mark tell us that John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. This is probably one of the most famous things about John the Baptist, but I actually think his diet and his attire, uh, which are generous words for those uh, things, they actually mean so much more than we realize. I think John is actually sending messages with what he wears and what he eats because the same kind of clothing is what the prophet Elijah wore. He's saying, I'm just like Elijah. I've come here and I am going to preach difficult and hard truths to God's people. The locust was a symbolic choice too. If you've ever read the Bible, you know that in the book of Exodus, God sends locusts as a plague against the sin of the Egyptians. Perhaps John is eating locusts to say Israel has some sins that are worthy of repentance. He is like a living, breathing, walking symbol to tell the whole people, all of God's people, all of the Jews, we need to repent, we need to change, we need to turn our lives around. And he doesn't just tell that to people, he lives it in his own life. Now, whenever we read about John the Baptist, we kind of can feel overwhelmed. I can't be like him, right? I've got to go to work, I've got my family, I've got my husband, I've got my wife, I've got my kids, my grandkids. I've got to live a very contained, normal life. I can't be like him. I, he's almost supernatural, and we're all average. We don't have what it takes to be like him. But I actually love that we're told later in the Gospel of John that John the Baptist never performed a miracle. Yes, he was a radical disciple, but he never parted the waters. He never had incredible visions or dreams. He never healed the sick. He never raised the dead. Yes, his message was very challenging. His lifestyle is very challenging to us. But he was a man of discipline, but didn't lead a supernatural life. It's really easy to summarize what he said and what he did. His message was repentance, and his lifestyle was radical discipleship. Now, why are we bringing all this up about John the Baptist? I think at some level, we have to acknowledge that he was different. He was bizarre. He was strange. He went out into the wilderness. He ate bugs for dinner. He had long, mangy hair that he never cut. But he wasn't just different for the sake of being different. He was holy and set apart. He was different for the sake of our Lord. That's why it was so natural when Jesus finally comes along, that those disciples transfer so quickly to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed at the end of the reading, but two of John's disciples, 
hear the message of John and start following Jesus. It's the most natural, smooth transition because these two men are alike. They're strange, they're bizarre, they're compelling and captivating. And I think this is our real obstacle to being like John the Baptist. It's not that Christians don't want to be faithful. Our biggest obstacle to being like John the Baptist is we don't want to be weird. I think one of the biggest 21st century temptations for American Christians is to be normal. Not to stand out. We want to have social respectability. We want to watch the same content as all of our peers. We want to laugh at the same jokes. We want to go on the same vacations. We want to make the same salary. We want to go to the same schools. We want to drive the same cars, work the same jobs, vote for the same politicians. We want to be socially respectable. And it's the same craving we all had as teenagers. It's just another popularity contest. We want to be liked by the people we admire. The problem with this is that John is so compelling precisely because he does not offer sacrifices on the altar of normalcy. He is weird and faithful, strange and honest, bizarre and captivating. There was a New York Times uh, article that was published in March of this year. It was about a baseball player and a star high school prospect named Ellie Kliegman, okay? He is an Orthodox Jew. He comes from an Orthodox Jewish family, and he plays baseball all week, except from Friday night to Saturday night, because that time is Sabbath. This New York Times columnist asks him, okay, but would you break the Sabbath for a lucrative, I'm talking a lot of money attached to a contract from a major league team, and his response is, the day of Shabbat is for God, and I'm not going to change that. My goal is to become the first Shabbat observant player in the MLB. That is noticeable difference. That is weird faithfulness. And it's exactly the kind of strange discipleship and radical discipleship that you and I need. To have such high convictions about following Christ that those supersede, those are above all the earthly things that we do. And I'm worried in my own life that once I think something is strange or perceived as strange, that disqualifies it from being faithful. I think, well, but that'll look weird. That will look weird to my neighbors or look weird to the people I admire. But can't we think of a hundred examples of strange behavior that could help us spiritually? Let's say you choose a career that pays less but serves more people. Let's say you refuse to look at email when you go home after work. Let's say you choose not to have a TV in your living room to avoid distraction. All of that would count as weird. It would count as strange. It would be perceived as bizarre. But all of them could be self-sacrificial actions for your spiritual good. And here's the thing, if we look in the Bible, we will see so many examples of weird faithfulness. Right? Look at the stories of the Israelites. They eat differently. They worship differently. Their, their whole lives are ordered to a different beat, a different rhythm. 
than their neighbors. But it's not for the sake of being unique. It's because they want to be faithful to God. Think about Christians in the first century and how strange they were from all of their Roman neighbors, right? They would gather in church and there would be men and women in the same room. Gasp, right? Slaves and masters and freedmen would all worship together and receive the same baptism. Rich and poor alike would partake in the same table of communion. They refused to participate in the violence of the gladiatorial games. They were known for adopting exposed babies, abandoned in garbage heaps by their parents. They were weird. They were strange. They were different by all of their neighbor's standards, but not for the sake of being unique, but for the sake of being faithful. What other kinds of weird faithfulness could we explore as a church? Whether it's giving a percentage of our income each and every week to the work of God's kingdom, taking care of our aging or sick parents, staying married even when we're pressured by our peers to leave our spouse, refusing to prioritize work over our families, being open to children and adoption. There are so many things we do that Christians have done for 20 centuries that are strange, but noticeable. Now, I think if our measuring stick for faithfulness is acceptable to our neighbors, that's the ball game. Let's all go home and stop trying to be Christians. There's not really a point in trying if we can't be different, if we can't be distinct. Let me just give a personal example of what I'm talking about. Um, my brothers are uh, both married. My oldest brother, Brad, is seven years older than me. Uh, my other brother, Garrett, is five years older than me. And both of them have four kids. Uh, and whenever I tell people that, I almost always get a stunned reaction. People are shocked. And it's like I'm telling people, my family is from Mars, and we've just arrived on planet Earth. Or, you know, I get jokes all the time, you know, we know God said be fruitful and multiply, but we shouldn't take that literally, East family. So I get, I get the jokes and the comments at first, but I've had some people very directly say, well, all those kids would get in the way of their parents having a good life. Like, it's strange for your brothers to have all these kids because they get in the way of fun. And I've just thought about that so much because it's such a like, regularly occurring comment you know, if a woman bringing new life into the world through sacrifice and swollen feet and nausea is weird, well, I'm up for the weirdness of motherhood. I mean, isn't motherhood just such a great example of this kind of faithfulness to another person, this self-sacrifice that all Christians should admire and celebrate and look up to? Fine, call it weird. I love it. We celebrate it. When I look at my sisters-in-law or my wife, I am inspired to be more self-sacrificial, not less. And who cares if it's seen as strange? Who cares if it's seen as weird? Now, whatever your family situation is, my point is not have four babies. My point is that our standard, our convictions, our faithfulness have nothing to do with being socially respectable, having all of our peers approve of our behavior. Now, I want to land this plane and, and return back to 
where I started at the beginning. Luke once said about John the Baptist, all the people, even tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John, because they had encountered him, been ministered to by him. Don't we want to be the kind of people that our neighbors meet and are now more open to Jesus because of us? Man, I see this happen each and every year in the Pack the Plaza events, okay? So Longhorns for Christ packs up all of their instruments, all their music, all of their tech, and they take it over to Jester, okay? They set up in the courtyard area. They've got food, worship. It's phenomenal. If you haven't been, you've got to go, okay? Now, there's this area kind of above the plaza where people will kind of look and watch. If you've ever been, you'll see people walking by, and they'll, they'll look over and just kind of watch worship happen. And you know, one year, a UT student may walk by and look down on what's below and say, that's weird, and move on. But you've got to think that there might be a lot of John the Baptist moments where maybe, yes, that was their first encounter with Christians. Maybe that's their first encounter with worship. And maybe their first encounter is, that's strange, that's bizarre, that's weird, I wouldn't do that. But who knows how many months or years later where they are prepared to hear the words of Christ and say, well, God's way is right. I want us to think about that example as an example to all of us. That could be us. We could be Christians with strange faithfulness. That when people encounter us, they hear Christ and they say, God's way is right. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you reveal to us any aspects of our life where we just want to get by, we want to be seen as normal, we want to be accepted, we want to be respected, we want our peers to think highly of us, we want to fit in. Father, help us see those areas of our life where we sacrifice opportunities to be faithful just for the sake of being normal. Father, I ask that you help us see new areas, new opportunities to be bizarre like John the Baptist, to be compelling and strange and different, not just for the sake of being unique, but for the sake of testimony, to be witnesses to who you are. We want the opportunity to prepare people to encounter Christ. Father, help this church be like John the Baptist. That we, as a community, would prepare people to meet and encounter our Lord. Wherever there's fear in our hearts, wherever there's anxiety about sticking out, about being set apart, about being holy, Father, just remove all of those obstacles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.